We're going to jump right into it tonight, all right? Turn to Exodus chapter 14 in your Bibles, uh, your apps, your scrolls, if you're that old, uh, your tablets, whatever you got. Exodus chapter 14, we're going to be in the Old Testament tonight. I know that Pastor Tim has been preaching through John uh, in here on Saturday night, and then uh, on Thursdays, he has been in the Old Testament. He's been in Genesis, making his way through uh, there. Tonight, I will be in a little bit of both. We'll be in Exodus, but we'll uh, take a look at Matthew as well uh, in it. Here we go. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. I'm going to start by reading those, and we're going to get right into God's Word uh, tonight. It says, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Let me pray for us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and redeemer, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, COVID, chaos on the streets, political debate, YouTube church, Facebook church, drive-in church, coming back together. And just when you think it's all over, we got an election on Tuesday, right? Right? This year of 2020 has been a challenge. It's been a challenge in our country, indeed in the world. But let me assure you of one thing tonight. God is bigger than any challenge that we'll ever face. Amen? We can count on God. You see, no matter what changes around us, no matter what changes around us, God remains the same. The same today that he was yesterday and the same God that he'll be tomorrow. We can count on it. Well, for those of you who don't know me, maybe you're visiting. I'm James Reed. I serve on staff here. I've been around now for about five years in this place we call Celebration Church. And uh, thanks for just letting me share it tonight. It's a privilege to be in this place. You know, I also count myself blessed to be able to teach a group every Wednesday morning that suffer from substance use disorder, women who have been victims of human trafficking, women who have been victims of domestic violence. They are my inner circle. They my people, amen? They my people, yeah, yeah. You know, in my spare time, every now and again, I'll go over to Jank Road Baptist and share a lesson, a men's Bible study on Tuesday night. I'm teaching that right now. And then there's a country church about 40 miles south of here that I help out uh, as well at. Let me say this, and I hope you hear this loud and clear tonight. No matter where I go, no matter what the people look like, no matter what socioeconomic uh, place they come from, no matter what culture, no matter the color of their skin, they all share the same thing. We need Jesus, amen? We need Jesus, all of us, no matter where we're from. Here's the deal, no matter where I go, no matter who I see, no matter who I talk to, I find a people that are right now crying out for a redeemer. 
And guess what? That Redeemer came once, Jesus Christ, and he's going to come again. Amen? My promise tonight to you is that when the Holy Spirit stops speaking, I'm going to shut up too. Amen? All right? However long or however short that is. You know, recently in our residential setting, residential discipleship is what we call it, uh, we've been working our way uh, through the grand narrative of the Scripture. And what do I mean by that? The grand narrative of redemption. Because you see, right from the beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation, all things point to Jesus and our need for redemption. Christ came, he went to a cross, he died. He came out of a grave, he ascended to the Father, and he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell each of us who call ourselves Christians, who are believers, who, who heard and believed, as the Scripture tells us. Nevertheless, we still face darkness in our world, and we cry out for Jesus. We cry out for Jesus to come back, don't we? Right? So here's a brief narrative of the early days in the Scripture, and I'm not going to go through all of it. And hopefully most of you in here are familiar with the story. If you're not, come see me afterwards, and we'll start getting you familiar with it. There was creation. Adam and Eve showed up in a beautiful place, right? Animals walking around naked, you know, pretty trees, pretty fruit, pretty everything. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me, right? But what happened? Sin. The original sin. What happens from there? Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden, right? They're sent out of the garden. But guess what? God does not abandon them. We witness the first animal sacrifice, don't we? God has to kill an animal, one of those animals that up to that point was a domesticated animal, actually even past that point, just so he could clothe them before he put them out of there. He's a good, good father, you see. All of us in here at some point along the line were probably disciplined by a parent. Of course, I can remember I'm saying this is going to hurt, hurt me worse than it hurts you. Now, I'm not sure about all that mess, right? Every now and again, it hurt me, right? But God clothes Adam and Eve, and he sends them on their way. But what happens from there? The first murder occurs, brother against brother. Sin continues. God at one point even questions why he created man. God brings a flood to wipe it all out, doesn't he? Noah and his family are rescued, though. He didn't abandon Noah, and he told Noah to tell others about it. We know that some got on, but some didn't. Well, God makes a covenant with Noah at that point. The covenant God made with Noah is symbolized today by the beautiful rainbows that we see in our sky. Every time that we look at one of those, we ought to be thinking about that covenant that he made with Noah so many years ago. But here we go, God's perfect plan, that rescue. He didn't abandon them. A beautiful story. But the story continues to be interrupted by sin. Noah celebrates his rescue from the flood. And what does he do? He goes out and he gets drunk and he's laying on the floor naked. His sons are walking around backwards. Some of you know the story, right? And one of the sons ends up being cursed because of it. Later in the scripture, we in the scripture, we come to know who Abraham is. Abraham's faithfulness is tested multiple times, and, and Abraham responds. God asked Abraham to leave his residence and travel 1,100 miles. You see, Abraham was living in a nice place, but God says, you got to get up and go. And Abraham is obedient. He does go. But that's not all. He then asked Abraham to do what? Sacrifice his son on an altar. 
to take him up on a mountain, sacrifice his son. Abraham goes, and to those that see him go up there, he looks at them and says, my son and I are going up to worship. You see, worship requires sacrifice, doesn't it? You know, so many times we get mixed up in, in what worship really is. Worship requires sacrifice. Abraham is obedient. He goes up, and we know that God steps in, and, uh, and you know, Isaac makes it. Uh, you know, he's not sacrificed. But because of Abraham's obedience, Abraham, and we learn this in Galatians, is credited the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Because of his obedience, because of his faithfulness, Abraham was tested. And guess what? We are tested as well, and we will be tested. If you are a Christian, you will be tested. Sometimes we create our own tests. Then there are distractions that Satan creates for us. But you know what? There are times when God puts us to the test. Well, God implements covenants in the Old Testament. You know, we, we go further in the story. Covenants come in the form of conditional covenants, and some are unconditional covenants, promises with no strings attached. All come with a promise from God. And guess what? God is a promise keeper. Most come with a consequence, a consequence related to sin. He creates a covenant with Noah, yet sin continued. He creates a covenant with Abraham, yet sin continues. He creates a covenant with Moses, sin continues. A covenant with King David, what happens? Sin continues. And then the new covenant, he sends his son to die on a cross and come out of the grave. He dies on a cross in the most brutal way. And guess what? You say it. Sin continues. Sin continues. So what is a covenant? How should we look at that as a church? You know, it's a term most used in the Old Testament, but you know what? Many churches that you'll join require that you sign some sort of covenant, making a promise, a commitment. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is, a, is to solidify two or more parties that come together to make a contract, agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. It's a friendship agreement. It's like a marriage. Marriage is a covenant. Covenants are important in our lives. Covenants involve promises. And we are under the new covenant. Covenants require commitment from us. Tonight, we're going to give brief treatment to the covenant God made with Moses. Tonight, we consider Moses up on Mount Sinai. Tonight, we look at Moses in the presence of God. You know, our music tonight was, uh, you know, we didn't even talk about what they were going to play, but it talked about being in his presence, right? Tonight, I want you to walk out of this place called Celebration Church, understanding that you have greater access to God than even Moses had. And it came through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? The blood, the blood. We used to hear it all the time in the church, right? The blood. You know, we can remember Moses. He went up on that mountain not once but twice. Most of you here know that story. God pins the commandments, and he comes back down to hand deliver it to the Israelites, right? We know the story. On his return from the mountain, he finds the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. He broke the first edition, right? Had to go back up. 
These are the things that I want you to take with you tonight. First, that Moses and the Israelites needed a redeemer. And so do we. The second thing, Moses had an intimate relationship with God. So can we. The third thing, if you look close enough, you will see Jesus in Moses. Fourth, to be in the presence of God is to be on holy ground. I hope you see that through God's word tonight. And then the last point is in the form of a question. And I'm gonna ask it at the end. Can others see Jesus in you? You know, my first point's fairly easy to establish. After all, the first time that Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God and came back, his people, the Israelites, had already went wild. His people are looking for an easier, softer way. You know, some of you have sat in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous have heard that, easier, softer way. Well, I'm here to tell you, I haven't found one myself. They make that golden calf, they worship an idol other than God. Immediately, they've already turned from God. You know, we're not much different than the Israelites, are we? We search for an easier, softer way. We are obedient to God in some areas of our lives. But when things get tougher, God begins to correct sinful areas of our life. We want to hold on to it, don't we? We want to look for an easier, softer way. Over and over again, the Israelites disappoint God, yet he does not abandon them. We do the same. Most of you know the story. God handwrites the law, the Ten Commandments for Moses to give to the Israelites. But when he comes down again, they're, they're, they're worshiping a golden calf. Nevertheless, in the face of all of that, Moses doesn't quit. I'm sure he was discouraged what his people had done when he went up there. And here's the deal. God still does not abandon them. Moses goes back up that mountain and then back down with a new hope. Here's the deal tonight. God's grace is extended to the Israelites. Grace is not just a New Testament concept. Grace has always been who God is. Our God is a God of second chances, isn't he? The Israelites were given yet another chance. The Israelites needed a redeemer. And guess what? We are given chances each and every day. And we still need a redeemer, don't we? Amen? Moses had a special relationship with God. That much is certain. As special as that relationship was, though, I hope I am able to communicate tonight how special that your relationship can be with God. How special your relationship can be with Jesus. Now, I'm going to use a phrase that might be foreign to some of you youngsters in this room. And here it goes. Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory. How many of you have heard that term before? Shekinah glory. So what is Shekinah glory? Well, Shekinah glory is a visible manifestation of God on earth whose presence is portrayed through a natural occurrence. The word Shekinah is a Hebrew name meaning dwelling or one who dwells. Shekinah glory means he caused to dwell, referring to the divine presence of God. Isn't that what we want in our lives? Isn't that what we want to experience in our lives, God's presence? 
In the Old Testament, we see God appear smoking fire. And then in a burning bush, Moses indeed experienced God in a unique way. But again, I want you to walk out of here tonight knowing that you too can experience God in a unique way. Let us seek those unique ways, amen? Well, let's go back a little bit in the passage in Exodus chapter 14 to verse one, and I'll walk us through this. Verse one says this, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. You've probably said this before. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. I'll quit drinking, Lord. I'll quit doing drugs. I'll quit doing sex out of marriage. I'll quit looking at pornography. I'll quit stealing. Everything you say, Lord, I'm going to do. But we know what happens a lot of times, right? We go back to it, don't we? Verse 4, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. But we know we, they didn't, did they? They didn't. Verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. The Lord said to Moses, and here we go, our passage, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on that mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine being in the presence of the Lord in that way? You walk into a cloud in the presence of the Lord. Is that crazy or what? Moses' encounter with God takes me back to the garden. Adam and Eve experienced God in an in a intimate way as well. The scripture tells us that Adam and Eve heard God coming through the garden after they sinned, right? I mean, God was with them in a very special way. But again tonight, I want you to understand, so can you be with God in a very special way? 
God wants to make sure that you understand that. When we look at Moses, we need to see Jesus. We will see Jesus in Moses. You see right from the beginning of the grand narrative of redemption in Genesis, all things are pointing to Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, it talks about the woman whose seed will crush the head, right, of the serpent. All things point to Jesus right from the beginning. You know, Moses and Jesus have so many common common things. Moses was strong yet humble. Moses was obedient. Jesus was obedient to the Father. Moses was pure of heart. Moses was compassionate. Moses is the only biblical figure besides Christ to fill all three offices of the day, prophet, priest, and ruler. Moses prophesied the coming of one greater than him in Deuteronomy 18 when he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And make no mistake about it, one greater than him came, didn't he? And his name is Jesus, amen? Moses is a unique type of prophet in that he doesn't merely speak the words of God like all the other prophets. He has a special fellowship with God. Moses enters the presence of God alone and in Exodus where he receives the law. God speaks to Moses directly up on that mountain as he entrusts the commandments to Moses to share with the other Israelites. God says these words to Moses. He said, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. God speaks to us in different ways, doesn't he? He speaks to us through his word. You know, my prayer is that God is speaking to you right now through his word tonight. Most of us remember the story of the burning bush, another example of Shekinah glory. Chapter 3 of Exodus tells us this. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses, tonight I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses was standing on holy ground. You know, when we approach God with a pure heart, we stand on holy ground as well, don't we? When we approach him with a pure heart. You know, we see so much Jesus and Moses. Consider this, Moses, Moses and Jesus both faced danger when they were babies. Moses placed in the bulrushes, we know the story. Jesus under attack right from the time of his birth. Moses and Jesus are both chosen to be saviors. Better stated, both are called to rescue their people. Moses, like Jesus, was rejected by his people. Moses, after being separated from his people in Egypt, returns to Egypt to deliver them. Jesus returned 
He came out of the grave to deliver his people, and here's the good news. He's coming again, amen? Moses and Jesus both battled Satan. So do we. We share in that battle. Moses fasted for 40 days, so did Jesus. Both Moses and Jesus took control of the sea. Both fed the multitudes with manna from heaven, with fish, with loaves. The face of Moses and the face of Jesus radiate God's glory. Let me ask you this question. Does your face radiate God's glory? Are you in love with Jesus? Both Jesus and Moses are mistrusted and challenged by their immediate family members. Some of Jesus' own family did not believe that he was the Christ. You know, some of you experience rejection from your own families because of what you believe. Both Moses and Jesus advocate for those that they serve. They're, they're mouthpieces. They represent their people. Both intercede for their people. Both have about 70 people appointed to help each of them out as they go about their ministry. Both Moses and Jesus engage in healing ministries, specifically for leprosy. They touch the people nobody else wants to touch. You know what? We do some of that here at Celebration Church and Outreach Ministry. And I'm not bragging on us, I'm bragging on Jesus, I'm bragging on God. You know, we don't look at a drug addict or a woman who's been a victim of human trafficking or, or domestic violence as some leper. We look at them as a child of God, because that's what they are, amen. We got to go where Jesus went, don't we? Both Moses and Jesus chose 12 messengers, we know that. Both perform significant historical events on mountains. God's voice is heard when a cloud overshadows Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, just as his voice is heard when a cloud overshadows Peter, James, John, and Jesus. You see the similarities here? So much Jesus and Moses. Both reappear after their physical deaths, albeit in different forms. Moses, like Christ, humbly and quietly suffers for the sins of those that he loves. Moses, like Christ, is a shepherd. Moses, like Christ, is faithful, obedient, mighty in word and deed. Moses is called the servant of the Lord in the scripture, and so is Christ. And then finally, and most important, Moses died so that his people could enter the promised land. While Jesus died, so that me and you can enter the promised land, amen? We serve a holy God. Our understanding of God's holiness has been tainted. And I'll say this many times, tainted from the inside out. What do I mean? The church has tainted the holiness of God. Many sling the name of God around, the name of Jesus around like it's just another word in the English language. Then the ordinances of the church, communion and baptism, treated any way but holy in some churches. You know, one thing I'll say, uh, particularly recently here at Celebration, you know, we're, we're handling those as holy things in the life of the church, as they should be. Then there's a question of where we direct our worship. Do we worship the Lord or do we worship some preacher or some praise band, right? We don't come to church to do either one of those things. We come to church to worship the Lord. 
You know, if, if your day rises and falls on how I preach, you're in trouble, all right? You're in trouble. But I'll tell you one thing, it can rise and fall on who God is, amen? On who God is. You know, Tim Keller wrote this about, about holiness. He says, we have a hallmark greeting card understanding of God. To us, holy means reverent and inspiring and organ music in the background. But this doesn't capture the infinite contrast between God and mankind. You see, we are not God. He is. He's a holy God. When Moses encounters God at the burning bush, God doesn't say, come in, Moses. I'd like to give you a hug. He says, stop. Come no closer. Moses, you are on holy ground. He gives him instructions, though, doesn't he? Gives him instructions. And through his faith, Moses ends up occupying that sacred ground without being harmed, much less being wholly consumed by fire. Why? Because he was obedient and he was faithful. You know, you can occupy that holy ground, and I'm going to tell you how. We have a mediator. His name is Jesus. Amen? That's how we occupy holy ground. All things point to the cross. All things point to the blood. Do I have permission from you tonight to take us to the cross for a minute? If you turn to Matthew chapter 27 in your Bibles, and I'm working my way towards closing here, but let's get there. I'm going to tell you how we occupy that holy ground, how we experience the presence of the Lord, a presence that's even greater than what, what Moses experienced. It may not be on, on a mountain. It may not be a cloud involved with it at all, but let me tell you what it does include here and, and how it occurred for us and the beautiful story of it in spite of all the pain that, that this passage reflects Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54. Let me read it to you. It says, from noon, and I'm going to tell you something. Before I even start reading it, if this does not grab hold of you, if this does not move you as you consider what Jesus Christ did for you, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. My prayer is that it does move you tonight, not because of the way I preach it, but because of what Jesus has done for you, listen to it. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's only son is on a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with a wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Being mocked on the cross, the king of all kings, the, the son of the father being mocked on the cross. Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. 
The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Amen? Do you realize the significance of that moment in history? The tearing of the veil in the temple was significant not only because it happened, but also because of the way it happened. God tore the curtain from top to bottom in two pieces. God made a way for us through Jesus, and so he tore the veil that separated us from him. The curtain represented all of the laws God's people followed in an effort to maintain right standing with God. And when it tore, it signified how we all fall short of the glory of God. The way God made through Christ's death is the only way in which we can stand in the presence of God on holy ground. Amen? He had to die for us. He had to shed blood for us. He was ridiculed, tortured, spit on. He did that all for us. God made a way for Moses, and Jesus has made a way for us. Can I make a bold statement tonight? Even Moses did not have the access to God that we have today. He just didn't. All right? Through the blood, we have it. Jesus made a way for us. Jesus himself said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He went to the cross, he died. He came out of the grave. He ascended to the Father and he sends one in his place. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. It says this, it says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Do you hear me? You talk about presence of God. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and listen to this, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps him is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus is in us.